You are listening to the Aaron Evans podcast. This podcast is for the skinny dippers, the seekers, the stargazers, those that want to dream big, bet high, fall in love again and again, those that want to break free and know their highest self. Thank you for your attention. You can follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Evans or check out my website, AaronEvansYoga.com. Buckle up. Thank you for tuning in. I am infatuated by people that do the extraordinary, follow a whim, a passion, the pull of what they love, especially if it's not in their family lineage or if it seems completely impossible. My next guest, Jordan Bartlett, is a New Zealand-born Canadian with a love for children's literature and female empowerment. She is an author, a speech-language pathologist, and a certified yoga instructor. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Literature, a Bachelor of Science in Psychology, and a Master of Science in Speech-Language Pathology. She grew up reading books about boys for boys and found it hard to find a strong female heroine she could relate to. She has since then published a collection of fairy tales titled The Rose Petal Princess, and her debut novel, Contest of Queens, comes out January 18th, today. She wrote Contest of the Queens to give young readers that empowering character that she so longed for in a world where gender norms were reversed. Contest of Queens is a young adult fantasy novel about a queendom divided by prejudice and geography. Jax, an inventor's apprentice from the lower realm, forms an unlikely bond with Connor, an upper realm prince. When the feud between the upper and lower realms reignite, Jax must defy the odds and gravity to infiltrate the upper realm and compete in the contest of the queens. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Why did you decide to pursue speech pathology to begin with? So I actually didn't know it was a thing for the longest time. I was halfway through my undergraduate degree and I had this mid-degree crisis where I felt like I was getting a Bachelor of Arts in English, a Bachelor of um, Science in Psychology, and I couldn't really see myself doing anything with either of them. So I went to my career advisor and she was very supportive but very fluffy. It was very, what do you enjoy doing? And I thought reading and traveling. And then she said, be a travel blogger. And I just couldn't see myself <laughs> doing that. It's like, I like to travel, but people probably won't want to read about me traveling. So I, uh, I went home for Thanksgiving and my mom and I watched The King's Speech. And the methods in that movie for speech language pathology are very I mean, they were smoking, they were putting marbles in their mouths. It was very, not what we do now, but my mom turned to me and she was like, you could do that. And I think in that moment, it was kind of like, okay. And it was everything I really wanted in a job. I got to explore language. I got to help find people's voices, which is really beautiful. 
and it keeps me on my toes because every kiddo that comes in the door or every adult that comes in the door is so different and it's like finding how things work but in a person so yeah wow i'm so glad i asked that question with all that being said when did you get the knock to start writing oh that one was a more drawn out knock because when I was 15, actually, I wrote a bucket list on Microsoft Word in Lucinda handwriting. I still remember it. It was about two pages long because I have a lot of things I want to do. But number one was publish a book. And number two was meet J.K. Rowling. And I honestly thought number two would be easier to do. Uh, but yeah, so I ha had this idea that I wanted to write a book eventually. And... It just seemed like this far off thing until I saw that every November they have, I think it's called Nan National November Writers Month, so Nanamo for Ride Mo. Um, and they give you a word count and you just have to hit that word count in the 30 days. And I had never thought of writing a book like that where you just break it down. So I didn't do Nanaraimo, uh, the writing month. But I did start to see writing a book as this big thing that you could just take little bites out of. And I've definitely gone off on a tangent. When did I hear the right, to, the um, not to write? Yeah, exactly. So I just, I had this idea for a story that I'd been playing with ever since I was a teenager. And I thought, well, I'll write that story. And I, googled average length of a novel and it was 80,000 words so I drew a little uh, thermometer on my phone in the drawing app and I spaced it out to 80,000 and then I would just write and mark off in 5,000 word stints and I think having it be step by step like that didn't make it feel like oh my gosh I'm writing a book it was my word limit today is 1,000 words, and I want to hit that. Yeah. Jordan was so helpful for me with my writing process because she told me this strategy. The other little piece of information about Jordan is she's like a, a Disney persona. She, she lives Disney. And even hearing you speak, Jordan, I feel so inspired about writing in the world. And before this conversation, Jordan and I were talking about her next step, which we'll get into. But again, it just lights me up. How do you balance the working full time with, with children and adults and focusing so much on them to then go home and, and put fingers to a keypad? Oh, that is trickier. Uh, I think I think it was, it was again, giving myself a boundary. So it's not when I come home, I have to find time. It's every morning I would wake up an hour earlier and sit on my couch. Actually, my boiling kettle was my alarm clock because I would snooze so often, but you have to answer a boiling kettle because it just gets louder. And so I would pour myself a cup of tea and I would just write until 10 past seven and then I had to get ready for work. I would hope to get the kind of word count that I was aiming for in that time, but if I didn't, it was, again, it was just a little nibble of the elephant.
breaking it down bit by bit. Obviously, I would edit fully conscious, but I also liked that early morning writing because you don't have as much of that voice in your head saying, oh, that's a silly idea. You're just still barely awake and you're going. You're a yogi, I'm a yogi, and they say that it's the best time to practice early in the morning because that voice is not alive yet. You haven't really had time to judge or evaluate things yet. So you would wake up early, and you're not really a morning person, if I'm so correct. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> so, you, so you'd wake up in a, a fog, and you'd do your, your words, and then you'd go to work, and then would that be the end of it, or would you revisit it? Yeah, so then I would come home, and some days I wouldn't touch it. It really depends on the mood you're in, the day you've had, but that's when I would usually take myself somewhere beautiful. So I love writing at the Bath Springs you just have this view and you think oh magic exists so yeah I would just go somewhere beautiful and I'd either edit what I had written or keep going I do like to make sure I'm hitting a thousand words a day uh, for my first draft actually it was 1600 words a day and if I didn't hit that I'd always feel a little bit like oh just five more words or just 200 more words but yeah I think it's working full-time is tricky but you if it's a priority you'll find that time mm -hmm. and it's it goes to show that you can wear so many different hats and and nothing is impossible mm -hmm. it's just to know okay now I am the writer and now I am the linguist you know knowing where you fit in can you tell me about this idea of the novel and and how it came to fruition well it probably happened about the same time that I wrote my bucket list where I was really into retellings of fairy tales and I loved the idea of doing a retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk because it was my papa's best story he'd tell us. He'd tell us Three Little Pigs, The Hansel and Gretel and <laughs> The Hansel and Gretel and uh, Jack and the Beanstalk and his impression of the giant was the best. So I had started writing this Jack and the Beanstalk retelling and it was it was a 15 year old's angst outlet so most of it I will never show anyone but what I did love was the idea of main character's name is Jax and she lives in this lower world uh, and everything she wants and desires is in that unobtainable upper realm. So. Fast forward to my mid-twenties and I went on a hike with an individual who I found out on that hike doesn't like to hike with you. So I would be walking probably, I could still see the back of him but I was very far away and if you are on a four-day hike and you don't have music you have to do something with your time. So I thought well I'll I'll live this story. I'll tell the story to myself. I would shout up ahead to him, I'm just going to tell you this part. Tell me if it makes sense. And if I got a response, I did, but it was more just living it and rehashing it so that I had it really sol solidly in my mind. So that when I got back to civilization, I got myself a notebook and I wrote out the outline and then I went back. Oh, sorry, I didn't go back. I just moved forward and I wrote started writing and I really just started chapter one and went from there. Beautiful. And did you have any helpers along the way? 
Not so much with the writing. I found it's weird because you have this idea and it's all you can think about for so long and you want to share it, but until you yourself have put it all down, the more you share, the more it gets edited by others, people's, other people's reactions or other people's input. So the writing, not so much, but I found just everything to do with the industry afterwards. There were so many wonderful, wonderful humans within the writing community who they had no reason to give me their time, but they did. And they were happy to share uh, just information about what publishers are looking for, what a novel pitch is supposed to be. Because if you're not in that industry, you just have no idea. So it was really wonderful. And then, you know, once you get the publisher, obviously all of the people within that publishing house have been so wonderful. My publisher is CamCat Publishing and oh, they were just, just wonderful. They are just wonderful to work with. Their biggest thing is they want to kind of pull forth your best book. And my editor, Bridget McFadden, who is also very uh, famous for being a hot sauce queen on, <laughs> online, but uh, she was just a dream to work with. Yeah, she was, she, she could see what I was trying to do and helped it be that. Mm. Just it goes to show that we never do anything alone, right? Mm -hmm. We always have a team of people, whether it's our parents or our editors or our cheerleaders that help bring something to fruition. Was there any part of the book that gave you a visceral experience? Because it's a fairy tale and so you're making up this world. Definitely. I think, well, there are so many parts that you live or you draw from your personal experience to add flavor and life to. But I remember I was in the Halifax library and I was writing a scene where the main character is in a prison cell. And she's quite a logic-based character, so everything she does has to be really thought through. And when she is up against the wall, her way to get out of a sticky situation is to break the problem down into its parts and attack each piece of that problem in a systematic way. So she's stuck in a jail cell and she's really got no options. And so she starts to spiral into this kind of real panic. And I had her break the jail cell down into its dimensions to kind of keep that sense of sanity. But when you're sitting in a public place and you're trying to figure out, I, I did try to do it online, like, okay, I'll just create a little room, but I needed to feel it. So I get up and I'm pacing out, you know, eight by eight by five steps is the dimension of the floor. And then, okay, how high is her bed from the floor? And I would place my palms against the chair leg. Okay, the bed is, you know, six palms up. The jail cells, two fingers by one thumb, like just getting a real sense. But I think I must have looked crazy because I would kind of walk around in a little square and then mutter to myself and write it down and then go to the window and measure my fingers across the windowsill, go to the uh, table and write it down. And, and do you think that your characters are based on yourself and people that you've met? I struggle with that one because I, I mean, when I was writing 
Jax has red hair, and when I was writing, I had red hair, so I thought, I am so Jax, but I've chatted with a couple of people who have read the earlier drafts, and they're like, what I liked about it is she wasn't you. I wasn't reading about you. So I think, if anything, the characters that I'll write, I, when I have the idea for a character, I'll pick a few key traits that I would say define them. So, for example, um, Anya is very proud, but she's also a lower status, so she gets very like her back, her heckles are raised when people point that out. Um, Amber is a spitfire and she's actually based on a dear friend of mine who passed away. So I was able to kind of immortalize her a little bit. Uh, Jax, like I said, is very reason focused, whereas the other protagonist, Connor, he's very, he's a dreamer. He's an explorer. He wants much more than this provincial life. He's a prince, so he's kind of trapped in his castle. And I have these initial ideas of the characters, which I think probably are facets of myself. And then you get to build the person around that. I'm not sure if that's how everyone does it, but I think from there, you kind of get their core motivation and then you figure out the why. So for example, with Anya, why is she so proud? Well, she's in love with someone who's a higher status than her. So that's a sore point for her because she's had that her whole life. I'll never be good enough. Wow. So fascinating. <laughs> and would you dream about your characters? I wish I did because then they would help me write the story. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm more, it's, you know, when you're a kid and you play with your teddy bears or your dolls and you act out scenes, I would more live through a scene that way. And it's interesting, too, because, like I mentioned, I lived the book on that hike and then I wrote the bare bones of it. But if you were to look at the bare bones in the story now, it's so different because the characters do take you elsewhere, mm. sometimes helpfully, sometimes not so helpfully. So, yeah, it's interesting. And they, they have their own life. And with that being said, what would be the biggest difference, if you can speak to it, from your first draft to the one that now is going to be published? Oh, good question. I definitely, I definitely had a character who I thought would be the main pro. Oh, sorry, antagonist. So the one who was always getting in Jax's way, who just didn't end up being that way. Because I realized as I was writing it, the issue was bigger than one girl being catty to another girl, which I'm glad I found out because um, my novel is set in a matriarchal society. So I wanted to really hopefully avoid stereotypes and girl versus girl cattiness is one of them but I introduced you know the military and the the counselors and the, the government and as I was building this world around these characters I realized that Jax's fight is not with the individual it's with the system she's fighting the man or the woman so to speak uh, so yeah, that character, she's still there and she's still annoying when we <laughs> come across her, but she's not kind of the, the big bad, as I Wow, imagined. and would you say that this book is a declaration or a prayer for what you hope or what you want to see in a matriarch society or what you're hoping to see within women? Yes and no. And I say that because... The biggest reason why I wanted to write about a matriarchy was that, I mean, the patriarchy has 
brought about so many problems in our life day to day, especially as women, because we're not the power majority. But I really do believe that at the end of the day, people are people and you give one group of people power, they're either going to use it for good or they're going to be corrupt. And I think that in a woman run world, yes, there will be problems that we deal with better than men. But I think that at the end of the day, we're just as um, prone to corruption. We're just as prone to uh, lying and taking advantage of others. And I think it would just look different. Oh, well put, well put. Where did you draw inspiration from? Oh, I honestly, I think that if you think of inspiration as a bonfire, every person you interact with, every book you read, every movie you watch, every place you go to is either a match or a torch that adds to that fire. So I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly where I get my inspiration from, from but um, I've been very fortunate to live a well-traveled life. So a lot of the scenery is drawn from places I've been to. Um, there are caves that have glowing crystals on the ceiling, and that's uh, homage to the Waitomo Caves in New Zealand, where it's got there's glowworms all on the ceiling, and the tour guides say if you sing, they'll glow brighter, which might just be them trying to get people to sing. But uh, So yeah, just different landscapes have made their way into the novel and then because it's very much a female-led novel there are a lot of male characters that i hope people relate to as well but a lot of the main characters are female i know i've been fortunate to just be surrounded by such inspiring women so just drawing from them yeah I think. and and you do believe in magic i know that about you i i know the way you operate in the world you design costumes you love disney's music you make me believe in magic where did that come from? Oh, I think, I mean, I've always loved reading fantasy books and I just love that idea that there is something, I don't know if you want to call it spiritual or magical, but just something that brings sparkle to what could otherwise be a very mundane humdrum existence. Uh, I think that's why I really love the fantasy novels that feel like here, but if you, you know, if you go through the closet door, you'll enter Narnia. Yes. Because it's kind of like, it's just under the surface if you can open your eyes enough to see it. What was the hardest part about writing the book? It's funny because writing it wasn't actually the hardest part of the whole process. I thought that would be the hard part, and I thought I'd get you know, writer's block I'd have to overcome. And there were times where I would have to take a break from writing, but it was always there to meet me when I was ready and willing to write it. But the publishing piece was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Just because, as I mentioned before, I really didn't know this industry. I still really don't. There are so many things that you have to learn. And while there are WikiHow, articles about it. it it really is something that everyone has their own experience and that experience is so different to the next 
for me, I found it tricky because looking for a publisher who really wanted to see my work thrive was tricky. Hopefully not because it was a hard to thrive work, but mostly because every publisher is looking for something so specific. And if it doesn't fit in their box of what they're looking for, they're not going to put that time in because they're also supporting a brand of their books. So I found, yeah, finding someone who it was within what they wanted to publish to publish it. And also because my book is, is a young adult fantasy, which the young adult market's quite oversaturated and the fantasy market, it really is, it's always been really male dominated and male oriented. And I know that's shifting, but for me to come out with a fantasy novel based in a matriarchal world, it's niche. So definitely finding, finding that right fit and CamCat publishing is really everything I could dream of for the Grim London book. How can we get our hands on it? So it's basically anywhere you can buy a book, you'll find it. So it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. The ebook is through Indigo. Um, my website is jordanhbartlett.com and there's a link to uh, my publisher's website, which is camcatbooks.com and you can order through them. It's in five different formats. And this is where I really feel like the glass slipper fit my foot. You know, it was just... I've got it coming out in hardcover, paperback, large print for my Nana, uh, audiobook and ebook. And the audiobook narrator, oh my gosh, I, oh, she's amazing. Her voice is incredible. Carissa Walker, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and actually the audiobook is sneakily already out on Audible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And can you tell me about, uh, the voiceover did you think you wanted to do that well I I think I would be nervous if it were me but I also realized that a lot of the names only I know how I would pronounce it and so it was very cool because when uh, the audiobook narrator was going through they gave me a list of all the names that they didn't know how to pronounce and as a speech language pathologist, I know how to transcribe exactly how I want it to sound. And so I was able to give her all the pronunciations, which it, this is where my nerdiness will show. Transcribing your own words is very cool. <laughs> Figuring out what vowel sound it is. Um, yeah. A friend of mine wrote a book and he went in to, to do the voiceover for it. And he is a medical doctor, and so he wanted to make character voices for the different patients. And so he said he started to do this British patient, <laughs> and the, the people that were recording it were like, no, stop, don't do that, never do that again. <laughs> yeah. So, it, so he said he had trouble with the, the narration of the book because they didn't love his vision of what he wanted the characters to sound like. That's so interesting. And yeah, I think if I were to put voices to my characters, it would be so tricky to keep it consistent. Whereas I feel like this narrator, she she only changes her voice slightly, but it's in such a way that it's very much like a like a sticky note. That's that character, that's that character, that's that character. Which I'm glad because if she were to do the male voices like, I'm a man, 
it would kind of pull you out of the story. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What is the title of your book? It is called Contest of Queens, and it is the first book in the Freyan Chronicles trilogy. I've actually recently completed the sequel, First Draft, which is still, again, that kind of, this is my baby <laughs> form. And I can share the title of the sequel if you like. I would love that. <laughs> it is The Queen's Catacombs. And I, I, we were talking about this before. And what is your big vision? Where are you headed? What's the next steps? Like book two. Yeah, so book two. And then I know how I want to finish this series in the trilogy. I, I know the vague outline of the third one but it's interesting because when I finished the first one Contest of Queens I left it on a cliffhanger and I kind of dusted my hands and said that's a job for future Jordan and then again I had almost like a year where I was living the what-ifs and then I wrote the rough outline of the this is what's going to happen and then wrote the novel and again it went on its own kind of course but hitting all those plot points so I think that hopefully that's what's going to happen with the third one where I have kind of a foggy vision of it now then I'll live it then I'll write it then I'll actually write it what about this dream of meeting JK Rowling oh and that's so tricky because it's that situation where you either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain unfortunately a lot of my beliefs do not align with a lot of her most recent uh, tweets uh, and the beliefs that she's kind of standing behind. But I will just say that regardless of where she is in her world now, the world that she created for, you know, 11 to probably 20 year old Jordan was such a safe haven and it was such a beautiful world where I feel like a lot of misfits and people who weren't always the most popular in school got to find refuge and strength and I don't know where I'd be without role models like Hermione and Luna and even McGonagall. So that's all I got to say about that. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm shocked to hear you say weren't the popular kids because you're the most popular in my eyes. <laughs> so like, really? And can you speak to that just briefly about the refuge like what do you mean by that that you would lean into these books in this world yeah I think I mean you could call it escapism but I think it's in high school in kind of those formative years it wasn't like the movies I had a hard time finding uh, a group that I could really click with and and it, it was tricky at times and I think when you're still trying to figure out who you are. I remember these amazing women come forward and, and give you these power quotes, like, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. But I was still figuring out what I stood for. So it's, it's not as if I could say, I stand for this and this is who I am. So you're still trying to figure you out. And I think without these books and these beautiful characters in these worlds and and it's that simplistic good versus evil um morality triumphing over the mm. immoral without that I think it would have been hard to keep us like a, an inner inner light because if the 
surrounding environment is telling you a lot of negative, not good enough things, and you're still trying to figure out why you're good enough, I think that would be hard to kind of squeeze mm-hmm. through. So that's where fantasy is so important. I think it goes back to what you initially said about magic or spirituality. It's that spark. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's mundane. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. The fact that you would go to the Banff Springs to sit to write and the fact that you want to travel to, to sit to write, it speaks exactly to that. It's like you have to keep your spark alive if you're going to keep it alive in myself and my son and all your readers. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite book? Oh, that's so tricky. Uh, as Drew Barrymore said in Ever After, I could no sooner choose a favorite star in the heavens. But I love, at the moment at least, I love V.E. Schwab, Victoria Schwab. She's an author of a series, uh, I think it's called the Shades of, Shades of Magic series. And the there's three of them, A Darker Shade of Magic, A Gathering of Shadows, and A Conjuring of Light. And I just, I don't know what it is about it. It's just, the aesthetic is so kind of extra. You know, you've got like black leather, white lace, blood red. Like it's just really oomphy. And the characters are so, I don't even know. You've got Lila, who's a thief and she's out for herself. And then you've got Kel, who's kind of this cursed, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, I, I just love her world. So that one is my favorite at the moment. I'm currently reading a really good one, uh, The Song of Achilles mm. by Madeline Miller. And that one is just a beautiful love story, which I think Achilles, we need to see the Brad Pitt version, but we also need to see the gentler <laughs> lover of Patrocles' version. What is the greatest advice that you've ever received? Hmm... Definitely, I th- it's been. I think it's a, a general idea that's been said in a lot of different ways in a lot of key moments in my life. So, I remember in high school, my mom writing down a quote from Winston Churchill, and it was, "If you're going through hell, keep going." Um, the movie. Meet the Robinsons, which is such a random movie, but it's got a slogan of keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think that idea of one step in front of the other, take one bite at a time. If it's, yeah, just keep moving, keep going forward, I think is the, and it could even be uh, just start writing, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because otherwise you're stagnant and... Nothing happens then. Yeah. Oh, I needed to hear that right now. Would you say that there is an intention behind this trilogy for you, the person that you're becoming? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I find a lot of the messages that I know I needed to hear when I was younger have woven their way into the narrative. Uh, There's a lot of hopefully not too many, but there's there's key moments where there's a big confrontation of ideals or um, a big momentous speech where we kind of get pushed to this precipice of an idea and then we have to 
really take a stand. And I think it goes back to that if you don't stand for anything, stand for something, you'll fall for anything, where I'm finally able to say this is what I stand for, and I think that's what I'm putting in my novels. Mm. I get the feeling for you, and it, and it's basically because you are a successful, we'll call you businesswoman, but healer, shaman, whatever. It is not about accolades, and it is not about money. And, it, you know, I think anyone that writes, it's not, never about that. And I get a real pure feeling, and I cannot wait for the 18th to have that book in my hands. Part of me, when you talk about the Audible, I'm like, oh my God, when she leaves, I'm going to download it. <laughs> no, I'm reading it. Anything else you want to add to for our listeners? Oh, just keep moving forward. Yeah, I think, I think especially now. Oh my gosh. Um, you mentioned, you asked before what inspires me, and I think now more than ever, I've really realized just the different chats you have with your friends that everyone is going through hell. So just keep going. Mm, it's so true. Everywhere I look, everyone I talk to, it's heavy right now. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can be a little beacon of light for anyone, for someone, it's worth it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it doesn't take much either. Mm -mm. Yeah. Oh, Jordan, it was an absolute pleasure. And I will put your website, your Instagram handle, your publisher's website as well on the show notes. And I look forward to the 18th and I hope our listeners do too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a treat. I love how Jordan left a love letter to herself in her own novel. And after having a conversation with her, I feel so invigorated and that my blinders have been taken off, my way of seeing the world as rational and logical and competitive, I am excited to create for my own avatar. So thank you so much for your listening ears. Get your hands on that book. Let's see these worlds she created. I love you.